Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast, a special episode, a panel episode. This time a space panel episode. But, I, you know, we were all inter- or you guys were all introducing yourselves off air and you kind of gave a brief description about yourselves, which was actually going to be my question to start off the podcast, which was why everyone got interested into the area of space. Um, you guys all have different areas where you guys focus. Um, and we've had separate conversations on separate episodes with you guys. I've had a few more conversations with Haystack, um, and we've dived into the sci-fi realm a little bit. Andrea has entertained a little bit of it as well, too. And Stephen, of course, we always talk about, you know, exoplanets and other things. But I wanted to get um, Stephen, if you wanted to start first, and then Andrea, then Haystack. Um, why did you guys get interested in space? Well, so uh, I grew up in Outback, Australia, and uh, I was... My, my teenage years were during the glorious 80s decade, which um, I, I'm very sorry, uh, Robbie, but you, you seem uh, young enough that you probably didn't experience that, that, that decade. It's I had a boom box. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> but um, uh, during, uh, so like I said, I grew up in Outback Australia where, where I had a fantastic view of the night sky. So that got me interested in astronomy when I was very young. But also during that time, uh, NASA was sending a lot of probes to the outer solar system. So there were the Pioneer spacecraft and the Voyager 1 and 2 spacecraft. Um, and Voyager 2 flew past Jupiter, Saturn, and then in 1986, it flew past Uranus. 1989, it flew past Neptune. And the images being returned from that just got me really enthralled about this whole discovery of things that we had as a civilization really had never seen before. So that was what uh, really from from very young age got me focused on astronomy. Um, to me, I guess, uh, well, I'm totally the opposite. I, I grew up in a, in a busy city. I didn't get to see much of the sky. Um, and my background was mostly into physics. So we didn't uh, have a lot of astronomy background in, in those days in, in my country. Um, and um, But in the final year of my physics degree, I get this optional astronomy course, and I was completely hooked. Um, I think the teacher didn't actually know, knew much about it, like it was all over the place, but I think it was quite the right introduction into astronomy. Um, just to, I was like basically just uh, wide-eyed and just absorbed everything about astronomy. And then I knew I wanted to go into academia, so I thought, why don't I try with a master's degree in astronomy? And um, that's when I went aboard, uh, abroad. And from then on, I just step by step, I just went on to do a PhD and then a postdoc and so on. So I basically got hooked into, into this field. And I think another thing that came about when I was in university was this boom into um, computers um, and obviously computers have been around for a long time but there was just about the time when computers were applied to science and to modeling so I really like the idea of simulating things on the computer so that's this is what I ended up doing simulating galaxies on on computers and it's actually quite fun 
Yeah, now it's my turn. So from very little, I'm interested in sci-fi. Um, I'm in South Africa in the Johannesburg region. I grew up in one of the suburbs of Johannesburg. And here in South Africa, we had some really nice night skies. <clears throat> and from there on, I got interested in astronomy and especially with the sci-fi aspect of astronomy. And um, I went to university. I did uh, undergrad in computer science as well as electronic engineering. And in my final year of electronic engineering, I got to do a astronomy project. If they on, I decided I like academia, I like doing research, I like science. So I did a master's in astronomy and is currently enrolled for a PhD in astronomy. And here I am now. And I'm probably one of the biggest sci-fi fans. I like to advocate for science and I won't stop talking about it. I might say something that might be a little bit controversial, but through digging through historical records of things and looking through over a certain number of documents, um, I've came across this overwhelming interest in not only some historical moments, obviously like JFK, but things when it comes to historical value of how interesting that even space was to people back then. Um, not only just specific moments in history to talk about the space race or something, but there seems to be an overwhelming interest to look up at the stars and also question things that could be possibly out there. And um, we've gotten to a point now in the world um, where our interest is still the same. In some cases, it's even better. I think a lot more people are getting interested in the topic just on the basis of UFOs and stuff. But something at a predated point, we would have looked at sci-fi television or sci-fi movies to spark up some interest in that as well, too, unless you had a telescope outside to look up at the stars. But the point that we're at now today, where the interest is not only going from what else could be out there, it's still that same question, but also there's a different aspect of now we have planetary civilizations, we have the ideas of exoplanets, we have the idea of great uh, dark matter, we have the idea, idea of so many other things out there where I start wondering, um, what are your thoughts on all of these things? I mean, do you think that society has really changed in the aspect of how it views space? I mean, we understand it more. But do you think that the general interest is still the same? Because I mean, I would probably make the argument that it is. I think when we look at what we know now compared to what we knew back then, um, it's expanded largely and it's only still expanding largely but we have a thing about us as people i feel like um my own opinion uh that we're trying to always discover something new we're always trying to look to something new we're always trying to find something new and it's gone even deeper to not only being able to classify what these new things are and being able to discover something that could hold more new things in it we're also looking at ways that we can categorize them for now at this point as well to usage purposes. Instead of looking at discovering a new planet, there's been talks and ideas of discovering a way to be able to live on that new planet. Um, and I mentioned to you guys off air the question I was pulling from Stephen's podcast, um, which I'll relate to all everyone here so no one feels left out but was an aspect of when you talk about mars should mars just be strictly for historical value should it just be something that we don't and that's an interesting question especially his answer was you know he's asking his students about this and you start getting into this aspect of like we all have this interest in you know discovering space and understanding it but now the question is now being asked of what would do we do with this thing that we have discovered which if you would have said that same question 50 years ago people go what 
we, we just landed on the moon, man. Like there's this, there's this whole aspect of like, it, it's that, it's that time change where it makes me speculate what the next 50 years is. And I, I said a lot there, but feel free anybody to rip it apart and compact it, do whatever you want. So well, I think I can. Oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, you sure, Stephen? Yeah, so one thing I can say, so in South Africa, astronomy had quite historical roots. So when the Dutch East Indian Company back in the 1600s started looking for new routes to get to India to get spies back to Europe, um, South Africa or the Cape of Good Hope was chosen as a halfway station. And there, one of the first observatories was set up. And the astronomer that ran the observatory had a title, His or Her Majesty's Astronomer from the British government. And that was set up to get better star charts from the Southern Hemisphere for ships navigating around the Cape of Good Hope. And from there on, they, the observatory expanded. And instead of creating different star charts, they started actually observing different objects in the night sky, it wasn't visible from the Northern Hemisphere. Then from there on, more observatories popped up across South Africa. There's one in Bloemfontein, one in Johannesburg. And then in the 60s, I'm going to see here, yeah, just move out of the way my background, the RWS2 Radio Astronomy Observatory was actually originally built to do tracking and telemetry on the Apollo spacecraft. So now astronomy went from Okay, we observe, we only want star charts for navigation, so we are studying the space. Now we have people wanting to set stick foot on the moon, and we need a way to track those space vehicles. So three of these stations was built, 120 degrees out of, uh, out of other. So as the Earth rotated, one station were always looking towards the moon. And this is why this observatory was built. It formed part of NASA's Deep Space Network to track the Apollo space, spacecraft. After the Apollo program was finished, um, there was no use for the station as a tracking station and it was converted into a radio telescope. And since then, the observatory has done research into a lot of aspects in astronomy, but you can basically think in a period of 400 years, it went from the stars was used for navigation purposes now to seeing what's out there to actually doing tracking in telemetry on spacecraft. So this station is still sometimes used to do tracking on and get telemetry from uh, Mars rovers and assisting with a bit of the rover telemetry. The station was also used to assist uh, with tracking telemetry of the NASA DART mission uh, not too long ago, it was last year. So yes, this is where we are in astronomy. So yes, astronomy has a big historical footprint, but as science evolves and as we, as humans try to think further, so what can we do next? What can we achieve next? And that is where astronomy is going. Astronomy will always be on that front end of what will be next. And that's why I think um, is the quote from Star Trek, it's space, the final frontier. And that is where we are going. Space is the final frontier for us. We want to learn more about space and we want to explore space. So um, I was just going to uh, riff off of what you were saying, uh, Robbie, about the interaction between uh, science and culture and science fiction in particular. And like you, Haystack, I can, I can talk about the, the, the science fiction connection for 
ever. <laughs> so, uh, but I've, I've looked a lot in the past about the, the, the history of science fiction and, and how it's evolved. And there's, there's this interesting transition actually that occurred several hundred years ago between when, because people have always been fascinated in the unknown. And for many years, the unknown was largely in a spiritual sense uh, and uh, conjuring up ideas of ghosts and demons and so forth. But we saw this transition, particularly uh, during the 19th century, where people started to uh, think more about the unknown with respect to what science was doing, because science was progressing uh, so rapidly. And so when you look at, think about the history, like what was the first science fiction, that's a very controversial topic. But I mean, you could, for example, think of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as a really archetype example of science and the unknown and how it can go crazy. But of course, you mentioned Mars. And as you know, Robbie, I, I love Mars for many, many reasons. But um, I, I always think that Mars is underappreciated as the impact that uh, Mars, both in terms of exploration and the, the, the effect on science fiction has had on culture. Because of course, as we know, the late uh, 19th century, there was ideas about us, not just life on Mars, but an advanced civilization. And in the early 20th century, it was, there was a substantial amount of the population who believed based on what they had seen and heard and read in H.G. Wells, which was inspired by the science, uh, that there was an advanced civilization on Mars and they were possibly out to get us, which is why the 1936 Orson Welles broadcast of H.G. Wells had such a profound effect. Um, but Mars going, going forward, of course, we, we were able to look at Mars because it has a thin atmosphere and see, well, actually, there's not really much there. Um, but that has, that has ebbed and flowed up until the present day where people are always looking at what are, what are these unknown aspects? And, and in particular, are we under any threat, which is a, always a primary motivator uh, behind uh, the, the way people think about space, because as Haystack said, there's uh, Star Trek and, and numerous science fiction franchises, which correctly portrays space as being the ultimate in terms of unknown. Uh, that's why they call it the, the, the final frontier. Um, uh, so I, I think that what, what we've seen over the last couple of decades, of course, with things like the X-Files and so on and an obsession with Area 51, it's, it's, it's related to the unknown, but also uh, from, a, from a personal and national security sense, is there anything that we need to worry about? So that seems to be a, a, been a huge motivator. So I think we're, we're still there uh, as we've gone forward. And as I said, we've found that Mars isn't a threat. So we don't seem to have any particular local threats, meaning in the solar system, but people are still very, very interested in this topic. And so now we're in the era of JWST um, and possibly finding a signs of life on another planet. That's the sort of thing that I think people will still really engage in from that perspective. So those are just a few, few of my thoughts. Yeah, so I, I like to follow up on what Stephen's saying. Um, um, obviously, I think it's interesting this this boundaries between science and and culture and society. And it obviously, when we don't have enough facts, we, we as humans we have a tendency to fill in with our imaginations and our our cultural background. And it's nothing wrong with that. It's always been the case when we didn't know something. We even in the old maps, well, like the the Earth, for example, wasn't mapped 
uh, wasn't known uh, completely back in the day. So there was a region where it was like, here are the dragons, right? So uh, now we have the earth well mapped, but there are parts of the universe we, which we don't actually know very well. For example, our own galaxy is only mapped to a, a fraction, um, like a 10% or something. Um, and again, we have you know regions where here are the dragons, right? So uh, we continuously, scientists, we continuously push the boundary and try to fill in whatever regions they're filled in previously by imagination and uh, folklore um, with with fact, uh, scientific facts. But I want to kind of push back on this and say that I think we, yes, it's, it's tempting to say that we are the first people or, you know, that, that obviously there's a lot of progress in the past uh, decades, but there's always been the case that humans were curious and they're always wondering about ever since we were born, uh, we came conscious on this planet, we actually started to think about our place in the universe. I mean, it was inevitable, inevitable because I think back in the day, think about it, there was no pollution, the Milky Way was right there on the sky. It was uh, this, this big thing on the sky that was hard to miss, right? And right since the beginning, people started to fill in the gaps with a lot of myths about where this big uh, band of light came from. So, um, so I think there's always been this curiosity. And obviously, I think even in, um, I mean, it's not always like complete mystery, people have tried to apply science to, to, to what they were seeing. So even the ancient Greeks were able to compute, the, calculate the um, curvature of the earth, for example, with the limited knowledge they had, they actually uh, were able to deduce that the earth was round and uh, even calculate its its radius. So that was, that was amazing. And um, yeah, obviously, since then we progressed. And when we set foot on the moon, obviously, we were pioneers. We as a humanity were pioneers. We didn't know much about the solar system even back in the day. So it was very uh, a dangerous I would say dangerous mission in my in my view was a bit uh, foolish to go without knowing where you're going. But uh, there are people like that. Nowadays, when we go back to the moon and um, eventually on Mars and other places in the solar system, obviously we we were better prepared and we know what to expect. And yes, um, I mean, there's lots of questions. Yes, what should we do when we get on Mars? Should we start terraforming or? changing the Mars or um, habitat, turn into a habitat for, uh, for people. I think it's that's, uh, that's to be decided. I don't know, it's, um, first of all, I think Mars is, is not static, it's like Earth, right? Obviously uh, Mars has its minus its own, its own climate, its own, I don't know, Stephen can fill in the gaps here, uh, but it, it's hard to change a complex system that's always in, in the changing. So you have to kind of, be a bit in sync with what's going on on Mars. You can't just willy-nilly change everything you want. Um, so yeah, um, and mentioning JWST, I think we are again at the verge of finding like a major step in, in, in our knowledge, um, increasing our knowledge of the universe, especially for example, if we detect a lot of planets with, uh, with water, uh, and then right, uh, um, right then we'll see those be, there'll be a lot of speculation about life on other planets. And I, I would imagine we'll have all the facts immediately. So I would imagine the society will fill in the gaps with more, uh, with imagination and other stories, which, which is fine. 
couple things I want to touch on. First off, I'm a moon guy. I'm a moon landing was fake guy. That's fine. I just my, that's my little thing. I don't fight a fight on it. I'm just saying I just maybe later we got there, but you know, whatever. Okay. Um, the second thing I would say is that I, I don't question the aspect of curiosity, but I started looking at the way that we've shifted in an aspect of I've heard from so many researchers compared to what we know, there's a vast amount that we don't not know. And as slowly as the unknown starts to become more known, we land in this area where we're at, where I feel like we're at today in society, where our curiosity is still the same, but the idea that our understanding and comfortability have landed on two different levels. If I mention terraforming an uh, exoplanet or another planet with an asteroid, you can roll your eyes at it, but there's people that take it seriously where I start wondering the, the information that the public is receiving when we're able to talk about these ideas, when it doesn't sound so much as sci-fi, depending on where you focus in, is that curiosity is not being affected, but it's the, I guess, the two fields of understanding and comfortability. People think that, you know, for instance, when the Mars uh, rover landed, that was a big event. I was excited, but other people didn't really know. Like, I thought we already did that. Okay, so your your lack of information on where we're at, it seems like the information gap. The public thinks we might be somewhat farther ahead. Some people think we're somewhat far behind. But then we look at the James Webb Telescope, taking pictures of what we had pictures of before in a clear, more definitive. I mean, it looked like Trix yogurt to me. I don't know if anybody else felt that way. There's look at the swirls of it. It's just a beautiful thing to look at. But then you start realizing there's a bunch of things out there that we have left to discover, and it brings a new aspect of hope. I don't question the curiosity, but I start understanding when we talk about different ideas of different what we would call sci-fi techniques of terraforming another planet or living onto another planet. For some people, it's more normal than it is sci-fi. And for the people that it's more sci-fi than it is normal, it gets into this aspect. Is that our comfortability or is it our understanding of space? Is it headed in the correct direction? Are we having more comfortability on the aspect of information of where we're at technology-wise? Or is our understanding standing of space farther than our comfortability where we're understanding more and what's going to be more acceptable approaches of what our goals that we can look forward towards in the future rather than something that could be maybe later down the line well um as you know robbie because we've spoken about this before one one of the main issues with what you're talking about is that there's there's almost no regulation surrounding it uh we're entering this area where private space industry is starting to take over from, from um, government-run space or, or organizations. And that's concerning for a, a number of reasons. I mean, th there are some space treaties, shall we say, about you know whether somebody can claim that the moon belongs to a particular country or something like that. But, but they're very vague and it's difficult to know how they would be enforced if they were, if, if those rules were, were broken. So when it comes to going to Mars, um, it's, it's something which uh, people think about from basically from a science fiction perspective, because Mars is very commonly portrayed in science fiction, The Expanse, and, and many other uh, shows, which, by the way, it's almost always portrayed as a military base of some sort, which there's a whole history of Mars that goes into that. But um, if we're going to Mars and, and living on Mars, you know, the way that Elon Musk talks about, then 
people just kind of think, oh, wow, that sounds very futuristic and very cool. And um, I'm not sure if I would do it, but it just, it just sounds like we're, we're entering into a, a sci-fi era, but there's the ethical component of that. Like, should we, should anybody be allowed to just go set up a Starbucks on Mars? Um, <laughs> when you word it like that, it sounds, it sounds kind of ludicrous, but that's the, uh, that's the kind of question that we haven't adequately answered as a civilization. And that's why when, when I talk to my class about things like this, and say, should we do this or should we go a different direction? Should we rein ourselves in and think about this? Uh, it's clear that um, people in the class have never thought about that. Uh, have never thought about, you know, it's, it's, it's that old line from Jurassic Park, we're so busy figuring out if we could, we never thought about if we should. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of challenges. Uh, that, and, and don't get me wrong, there are people who are working on this, there are people who are making their careers just thinking about space ethics uh, and about whether we should be terraforming Mars or colonizing space or even just mining asteroids. Um, uh, but this it's something that we'll have to figure out at an international level. Otherwise, industry will lead the way, meaning that companies will, will um, make the decisions on this that obviously benefit their company. And that is a pathway that I think we need to be very careful about. I don't fear billionaires um, a whole lot. I do have that aspect of fear that I share with you, but I also think that it could be done in a correct way as well too. Um, I really just kind of rely on what people would say, like it's nobody takes an account for like, if there's a projection model, people say nobody takes an account for future people figuring it out or someone along the line. I'm like, you can put some weight in that. I wouldn't bet the farm, but some people would like to, but I land in this aspect where we get to this point of when we start being able to actually manifest or do some of these things like colonize on a, another planet, if that trip or voyage ever does get to a point like that, there's just deeper questions among us that start to arise. You know, we want to know if there's other life out there. We don't toss it out. Um, people still question about our origins. I think these are deeper underlying questions that we all have. Um, no matter if you're a billionaire, no matter if you're a government, there's just these questions that need answers to. Um, how does a planet keep its magnetic field and another planet lose it? Was it a specific event that happens? You know, it's this information we end up learning more about later. And when I if you would like ask me the or the just the general public about the James Webb telescope and didn't know anything about what its capabilities could be doing, it's like, what does it take? I think I said it with you, Stephen, it just takes pretty pictures out there or something. But when you start understanding what it really does when it comes to pulling out information or understanding more, it gives me hope to answering the questions of our not not just our origins, but just other aspects of origins when it comes to even the solar system being created. I think with Andrea, I talked um, we talked about the creation, like the origin of the Big Bang, you know, the creation of this using a simulator to be able to, you know, keep trying to, you know, randomly crank out what this what people would say would be a little religious thing, you know, God rested on the seventh day, any of this type of, I don't know, I'm not religious. So that's going to be a hard example for me to toss out, but it's this question about where we come from, how things are created and where does the direction go? Cause with the understanding of what the past was, you also have to understand what the future is going to be. And I think that is sculpted not only by society, not only by billionaires, not only by government, but also information in the direction of what society is projecting at the time. And that's why I brought up the question of curiosity from the beginning. 
I mean, we have this fascination with space. I think that's an underlying measure amongst us all with only questioning where we come from, who we are, what is consciousness, all these things. It's these underlying factors that seem to, I guess, propagate or come out through all of the other underlying factors when it comes to billionaires or money or funding. I think there's a hurdles, but I think there's a deeper need within every individual that like anybody, you show them pictures of the James Webb telescope, what it's able to pull out. They're going to be astounded. They're going to be amazed, especially if you put up a comparison to what we had before. I mean, it's just the, how far we've gone, the progress, like just seeing that can give hope in anybody's eyes. So I think it starts pulling out these underlying factors of not just showing the general public more images like this or having more interactions or space conversations like we're having, but just kind of showing out that underlying factor that whether you know about this aspect of space, you are inherently interested in it. It's just something in your DNA that just is attracted to this understanding or this deeper question. So what I can add to this is I would like us to see going the utopian direction such as Star Trek. Like we are seeking out new life and new civilizations. And one question I usually ask the class I teach is why do we study astronomy? And I get some really interesting questions, but it basically comes down to we as a human species are a curious species. And we want to know what is out there. We want to know how stuff works. We want to know how stuff began. We are a curious species and we want these types of questions uh, answered. Uh, sorry, my cat walked that in front was great. of the camera. It scared the crap out of me, but that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we want to do. So currently, yes, we can see industry uh, leading the space race now. but. If you think about it in that way, when governments are doing space exploration and vehicle launches into space, it's funded by governments. So if something goes wrong and your rocket blows up on a launch pad, then you need to go back to your government, either it's the Senate or Congress or Parliament or whatever part of the government, report back to them saying, this is what happened. Can we please have more money to try it again? So that's why I think government is a bit cautious to make sure they get it right the first time. But with industry, they have more money available. So a rocket blows up. Oops, a rocket blow up. We just throw more money at a problem and build a new rocket. Where in government, that's a bit more tricky. If something blows up, you need to explain why it blew up and you have to guarantee that it won't happen again so you can get funding to do it again. But I would like us to move the, the world to work together. And it's interesting, interesting I've spoken to my class about as well. If you go back to, uh, to the 60s with the space race, um, more people were united behind it to get a common goal and go a little bit forward, uh, but uh, go to World War II, just after World War II, the, the Manhattan Project with the first nuclear bomb. And that also sparked curiosity. And back then, there were a lot more people interested in science and technology due to those projects. But where we are today, it seems like there are less and less people interested in it. So, for example, with this said, the space where the 
James Webb telescope. Some people is not interested in it at all. They just see pretty pictures and oh, that's it. But then you get other people that's really interested behind what's actually happening in this picture. What does this picture actually tell us? And it all comes down to, again, we as humans are curious species and to achieve more, all the countries and everyone have to set aside the differences and we have to work for a common goal. Yeah, uh, well, I think a lot has been said and kind of agree with both, but I want to kind of echo what Stephen was saying. I think there is, um, there, there, we have to think about these problems. Obviously, we can't set them, uh, just ignore them. Uh, and I heard about we a lot. Uh, and the question, I think we need to find first what we is. Obviously, we all have... Uh, aspirations and we all want to uh, study the universe and understand where we come from and, um, and you know as an astronomer I definitely have that in me and I can see in other people they don't you don't have to be an astronomer to kind of ask these questions and I think there's a there's a inner desire of, of, of we uh, of us um, however when it comes to actually space exploration I think this way becomes a bit less well defined. Um, I mean, obviously, we you have to when you go to Mars, you, you obviously have to have deal with practicalities. Uh, who's gonna own the oxygen? Is we as a humanity are gonna own the uh, the means of uh, uh, survival there? Uh, what happens? I mean, these are things, and it's not just Mars. Everything that happens in in space. Um, uh, at the, the earth around the earth is also um, well regulated and I think there's been um, it, it people have thought about this intensely um, yes I think it's good to have and uh, um, Hestek was talking about this utopian future and it's all good it also could turn very uh, dystopian uh, if we're not careful about things so I think and then we've seen this with the development of technology here on earth it, it's used for the good but also could be easily turned into something that's not as good and we 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 are not always asked uh, whether we wanted uh, to go into that direction or not so I think we we know as astronomers things are very clear but once you go into exploring space you have to put together people from all uh walks of life with all all, all different perspectives and uh come with an agreement to what we as a species want to do of course we all have this inner desire to explore and to know more about the universe uh but it has to be done in in a, in a wise way not just for us, but for future generations as well. Um, uh, so if, if I could just make one more comment on this, because I want to push on this utopian thing, because I agree with you, Andrea, that, that such a thing could go south really, really quickly. And, it, you know, just to tell you a bit, a bit of a story about how I feel about Star Trek, because, you know, I, I, I like Star Trek, but at the same time, I also hate it. Or, or there was something about it that I just couldn't connect to. And I, I never really could quite figure out what it was until I saw the movie, The Matrix, because there's a scene in The Matrix where Agent Smith has captured Morpheus and he's trying to interrogate him and get information out of him about where the city of Zion is. And while he's doing that, he reveals something to, to uh, Morpheus. He says, there were earlier versions of The Matrix 
but they failed because they were too perfect and the human mind rejected it as a, as a result. And, you know, when I saw that scene, um, I realized, oh my God, that's why I can't connect to Star Trek because Star Trek portrays this, this utopian future where all the governments have combined uh, with this goal of exploring space. And I, for, for that reason, I, maybe it's the cynicism in me, I'm just too cynical about this, but it's very, very difficult for me to conceptualize that as a realistic possibility. If you imagine a million pathways of human civilization, Star Trek is picking the one case where a, a utopia actually works out uh, in, in, in that way. Uh, and so I, uh, I'll, I'll be interested to hear the thoughts of everyone about what would it take? What would it take for, for human civilization to actually go down that one out of a million paths? Well, I would say it's not, I guess, pessimistic to think that we'd land in a dystopian society. I mean, Earth's problems don't just go away because you left the atmosphere. That doesn't happen. Um, even putting me in a dome for however long with a certain amount of people, eventually I'm taking a gun to the dome and I'm getting what I want from whoever I want it from. It's just, it, there's a, there's it's mental breaks in society. There's just things that it's hard to think that the problems just stop here on earth and it's only an earth problem and it won't transfer over. But I bring up the question is, don't you think that there would be something that would just like the whole reason I got interested in the alien topic in general was uh, idea that there was something bigger than us out there that would cause us to all unite on a front where it's no longer just me against you it's now it's a we against them aspect of things and necessarily doesn't need to be hostile all the time but understanding that there's more out there than just this i think that's the discovery of life i think that would shake us out of that problem when we realize we're not the only ones in this universe i know we talk about we can't be the only ones alone in this universe but to see real evidence that there is something like us maybe more advanced or less advanced on some levels it's not only going to be interesting for us to go and find out what that is but it unites us on a front it's no longer countries or lines in the sand anymore it's now people of earth that are leaving to go inhabit another planet because there's other people or other things out there that are doing the same thing you know i just i, I keep that little faith in humanity that there's something that would shock us to our core where we wouldn't be savages in this dystopian aspect that would unite us more towards a, a, a Star Trek front, I would say. But I think that comes from same reason you watch Star Trek and you realize they're going all around space, but they know about aliens. They know about monsters. They know about other things on other planets, things that could harm them. It's like I always relate to the Orville because it's a knockoff of Star Trek. I mean, they're working with aliens at some point. I mean, yeah, you become friends with them, but at some point you got this idea of what was that core element that caused them to land in this area or this, you know, age of excellence, I would say. And I think that is from an aspect of understanding that it's not just me and you, it's we against them. And it doesn't necessarily need to be seen as a bad way. It could be seen as a, you know, a progressive way as well, too. We don't need to fight, but we can try our, in our best to match our intellects. It could, it could be, but it's a, the, the cynical side of me, the only solution to the question I pose that, that my cynical brain can come up with is this unifying uh, aspect in a negative sense. And what I mean by that is, for example, I was at a conference a couple of months ago, an astrobiology conference, where I was talking with some, some of my colleagues just over a beer about uh, there's a, a, a huge effort towards the search for biosignatures that is a signature for biological activity on another planet. 
not necessarily intelligent, just you know, basic life as would have been on Earth, say, a, a, a million years ago. Um, uh, sorry, I said million years ago, billion years ago. Um, but there's also some of my colleagues who are searching for technosignatures. That is evidence of an advanced civilization. Uh, so uh, what we spoke about is what would be the societal response to the detection of a biosignature and the detection of a technosignature. And we more or less agreed that if, if and when we do discover a biosignature, then the societal response will be, wow, that's kind of cool. You know, that, that there's life elsewhere and, and um, you know, good job guys. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. The societal response to a technosignature, I think would be far, far greater. Uh, to the level where it would be not just a societal response, it would be a government response. It, it would be an, a sudden sense of insecurity of, oh my God, there's, there's intelligent civilizations out there. We need to get ready because, I mean, I've seen all the science fiction movies and we know how it works out. You know, maybe somebody had just finished watching Independence Day or something like that, right? So um, uh, the, the only cynical pathway I see towards unifying is essentially a military response to being aware that there is intelligent civilizations out there. Wait, are all my questions more focused on it? I just, I just watched Independence Day. So I was like, I'm dead. I just watched it yesterday. I swear to you. But when it comes to like a techno signature, is it possible that if we did a signature on another planet and we came across some tech, for instance, that wasn't from another, it wasn't from another outer space? galactic civilization or something but just something from china something from i mean that can spark up insecurities between the american government or whatever government comes across that as well too like for instance it's always weird to me like even though the mars rover or the rover landing on mars was like publicized and everything in my head i, I had this thought of like i hope we also have other tech on other things this isn't just like the very first and we're publicizing it as so i get like it's cool i mean for the public but like other countries see that as well too and i start wondering how come we're the only one that's focused in this direction even though we all know that we're all every country's interested in space so someone's keeping whatever they're doing on the, the low low or not publicizing as much so where I start going into this aspect of is it just going to be a competitive aspect that gets us up into space and then I start having questions if we look to our billionaires to you know venture off into space for us does it get to a point where we're only going to have corporations or the ideas of like you could bring up the example of asteroid mining we're calling asteroids $5 billion asteroids based on the materials that are involved in these asteroids. Okay, that's not how I want to see space be going, where we're just looking at it as a profit or business aspect rather than a industrial push, or not industrial push, but a civilizational push um, just for society in general. I mean, it's not, I mean, that's not crazy thinking if I'm thinking like that, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm slow, I'm low key wondering if there's other things that they're doing that they're not telling us about. I'm just hoping that there is because the idea of us just publicizing a rover landing on Mars and everyone sees that we're not looking at that as the world has just landed on Mars. At least a lot of the general public isn't. And you look at businesses probably not thinking that either. They're wondering how they can do that as well, too. Or they're looking at it like America just landed on Mars. And I think we have to look at we have to drop those labels of we and this. It has to be more of a a, a united thing on this thing if we talk about space exploration in general i could be wrong in saying that but that's okay i don't oh, have Robbie. any PhD. 
So I agree with you. So I'm a bit of more of an optimistic type of person. So I like the idea of a utopian future such as Star Trek or the Orville. I must say the Orville is sometimes better than being Star Trek than Star Trek itself. So that is great. I will give it to the Orville. But in those utopian futures, they have set aside the differences of mankind or humankind. And humankind is working to better themselves and towards a common goal. So looking at all different pathways that can lead to that one specific pathway means everyone on earth basically needs to set aside their differences and work towards a common goal, a common endpoint. But that is quite a difficult task. We think about the space race when the first satellite Sputnik was put in orbit. The U.S. response was not, oh, cool, it's a satellite orbit. It was a war aspect thinking if you can put a satellite in orbit, means why can't you put a warhead in orbit and bring it down onto a city? So there's always this military aspect as well in this exploration of space. But I agree with you. It will be great if we can put up a united front. So for example, we have the first people landing on Mars, not saying the US has landed on Mars or whichever country, but rather, for example, planting a united earth flag saying we as a human species arrived at Mars. And then Stephen coming to you with your techno signatures. That's a question I've asked my students as well. So what will happen to society? What will happen to the culture as we know it if we detect a techno signature? And a few things that comes to mind is what will happen to cultural beliefs? And signals, what will happen to religions? If we say we picked up a technical signature and it means we have now a different civilization on a different planet. What does that mean to a society? What will that mean to the development of a society? And what, uh, we can think about it as the butterfly effect. What knock-on effect will that have on us as the human species? And what came to mind is the movie and the book in this game, where you now had try and send a force to a different planet, you are attacked by species, now you have to attack them back. And what will be that knock-on effect as from a human standpoint? Well, the White House gets blown up and we lose Jeff Goldblum. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> if I might just add uh, again, um, I think we, we do have we always in in our history we tended to have this human centered centric view and um we always kind of we have to be careful not to judge other beings in the universe with with our template right well obviously as a species if we have any bit of introspection we we are very competitive and we always fought with each other right so that's kind of maybe it's inescapable i don't know maybe um i know we, we seem to go into the right directions, having less fewer wars with time and everything, but uh, we haven't got, we haven't broken the, the bad cycle of infighting. I think we are probably, I don't know much about biology, but it seems to be a way probably the only species on earth who are basically killing each other, right? Um, I don't know whether there's any other, apart from some weird uh, spiders and stuff. Um, but um, so I think we, we definitely, 
if we are confronted with evidence of life, it doesn't have to be a big civilization. It's just uh, even some algae or some bacteria on other planet. We, that would still be a big change in our uh, in our way we see the universe, right? Even that that would be a you know that would have a knock-on effect on religion, right? Because there's all this idea of how God created the universe with, with us in it, right? So uh, I, people already have thought about this. And I think NASA has even assembled um, church, you know, religious leaders from all over the world to kind of think about these problems, what, what will happen, how will the world will react when confronted with such an evidence, if there is evidence like that. Um, yeah, so in terms of techno signatures, I think, uh, it's interesting because, uh, again, we approach this from a very combative um, view. We are a bit self-defensive here, right? So if we find a signature, the, the immediate response would be, uh, okay, let's get ready. Where, you know, what kind of arms do we have and what kind of weapons do we have? Are we ready? Uh, <laughs> uh, and um, you have to, it, I think it's good to think from the other side as well. Obviously, I think if this is a very technologically advanced civilization, the fact that it survived for a long time. It already says something about it. The fact that they probably are, you know, chances are they're wiser than us. I mean, we nearly escaped the Cold War and everything. And uh, there was a time, right, when the space race was at the at the height uh, that, you know, there was literally uh, people were thinking that the us as human species may not survive, right? So we we had close calls in the past, um, but. Um, so, you know, I think Haystack was showing the Drake equation, right? And, and Stephen knows all about it, right? D the, uh, determining what's the likelihood of having civilization like us in a universe. And one factor in that Drake equation is the time span of a technologically advanced civilization or technical uh, civilization. And uh, in the past, people were thinking, especially in the Cold War, that this time span is very short, like a decade or two decades or something like that. And now we know we're better than this. So we ourselves survived. So chances are other civilizations are able to, or some of them are able to extend the, the, the length of their uh, civilization, which means they're not as combative as us. They basically grow up. <laughs> uh, and I think these are things which are think, good to think about when we actually go and explore the universe, um, kind of a step up from our own upbringing and trying to look from a different perspective. I, I guess the message, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say receiving, but the message I'm kind of trying to say out there is when, if you come across a techno signature of an advanced civilization, um, why would that be more amusing than coming across a new life form in the form of a bacteria or some type of smaller organism. I guess that's my, my main thing here is like I, I, I pull the same weight. I mean, it's more exciting if you can come across a creature, sure. But I also get the same excitement, whether you tell me it's a new bacteria we discovered or a new civilization we discovered. I have the same joy in that aspect. And I don't think the public would receive the message the exact same. If you said that there were aliens on another planet, rock people, let's go with that one. 
I always hear that all the time. People like the thing from the Fantastic Four. Uh, but if you say that to people, they get super excited. But if you tell them that you just discovered a new maybe life or uh, a biology organism when it comes to like a plant or when it comes to some type of small thing that you might have to see under a microscope. I mean, I pull the same excitement out of that. And I think there's a way to be able to make sure the public receives the message and has the same reaction as well, too. Um, it doesn't mean you need to inflate things. You need to do anything of that sort, but it just needs to, you know, I, any new discovery is an area and a direction. And the reason why I bring this up, and this is kind of like my biggest concern is how the way the public receives this message is because it's the way that we choose to go deeper into the topics. Any type of thing you look at when they do experiments, if experiment fails early, there's not really a whole lot of necessary precautions that go into researching it more. And that's why we have some projects that end up going back into 10, 15 years later, end up getting redug back up, investigated again with proper new technology. And then they do end up going down that route where I go, I don't want to lead into this area of like, you look at a planet, you scan the surface of it. And just because you don't pick up a certain signature of an advanced civilization doesn't mean that there's no value on that planet. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's about understanding maybe for the general public. Cause that's where I'm in. I don't have a PhD to talk about astrology really, but I just, my biggest concerns is when we talk about the area of neglect and what we choose to leave, you know, in the basket or off to the side and put other bigger things on our horizons. I mean, things that are more profitable, we can all agree on, I think are usually the things that get picked up the most. I'm just, I mean, from a business standpoint, that's just strategic. If you say that there's a $6 billion asteroid you can mine compared to trying to find a new way of renewable energies, I'm going to hundred percent bet all my money on the aspect of finding the $6 billion asteroid. I'm just saying, maybe I'm wrong, but I want to make sure that the change is headed in more towards a betterment of society or a betterment of human civilization rather compared to this aspect where when people receive knowledge, I mean, we have people that are finding out tweet updates about Mars rover landing, um, touching down. And then other people saying that I thought we already did that already. I mean, there's a disconnect there between not only the information that they're receiving about space, but just the overall excitement that they should be having and discovering something new. I mean, we don't take that same comparison into our life when our favorite show comes on next week or the next season or whatever. And I feel like you should have the same, I don't know, maybe I'm like a optimist or hopeful in a sense of just, you know, if you told me a bacteria that we discovered on another planet, I'm already trying to think of like, oh my God, what does it look like? Can I see under a microscope? Let me see. And then I'm pushing people out of the way to look at it. You know, I have that type of excitement. I think that there's a way to get the general public interested in that too. And that's the start of a venture forward into what I would call the right direction. Because we talk about research, for instance, picking the profitable option compared to the research option. I think we would like to see a research option, but when it comes to business and the people that are funding these ventures, I mean, is it going to be the, the research option that gets chosen or is it going to be the more profitable option? And I think that is in fault of how we've gone in a long time in society as well, too. It's always the profit, the profit margin. Yeah, so that's, that's what concerns me of, of about this. First of all, I'll say that with biosignatures, I didn't want to undersell earlier how interested society would be in that. And, and uh, as both Haystack and Andrea said, I think there'll be a lot of profound implications, even for basic life, uh, on, on current culture and civilization, and in particular religion. There'd be a lot of discussion that, that would be going on there. Um, but in terms of unifying people and i was presenting my cynical case that you it would need to be some kind of uh, military re response and and part of the template for that uh was something that stephen hawking 
thought a lot about in his in his declining years because in the years before he passed, he was a very big advocate of us keeping a low profile as a civilization because uh, he thought that any aliens, uh, if they knew we were here, that, that they would just step on us. Uh, and he, I mean, he was saying that as a British person and he, oh, a, a template for this is to look at the expansion of the British em empire who were developing their technological capabilities uh, not for the subjugation of less technologically advanced uh, societies, and they, and we, as we know, they subjugated many of, of those kinds of societies. But that was not what they were they were developing the technology for. They were uh, developing it for the people who were right on their doorstep. In other words, the the, the French and the Dutch and the Portuguese and so on. Um, and so uh, that I that's why I see that as a similar kind of response but having said that I, I will say that um any advanced civilization uh and this is a point that was brought home to me by uh recently by a colleague who works on techno signatures he's actively thinking about this and he has heard this argument that we should be keeping a low profile you know minimizing radio signals into space and uh even going so far as trying to develop cloaking devices so that so that alien civilizations can't even detect the earth uh, he said that's kind of ridiculous because any alien civilization, they're probably not just a hundred years more advanced than us, probably many thousands of years more advanced than, than us. Um, you know, the, the JWST is just like a toy to them. And so they already know that we're here, almost certainly. And so he, he uh, likened it to us trying to hide from uh, an advanced civilization. As if you've ever seen a, a two-year-old or a three-year-old play hide and seek, they crouch down in the middle of the floor and cover their eyes and hope that you can't see them. That would that he said that's what it would be like if, if we tried to try to do that. <laughs> if so, I can't see you, you can't see me. Exactly. So um so any of our civilization knows that we're here. It's just a question of what what their response. Do they even care that we're here? And maybe maybe they do, maybe they don't, maybe they just can't do anything about it because traveling between stars is so difficult. Um but uh, so, so you can go the, the military unifying re response, going any other direction, well, hopefully the utopian response, I think would require us to solve things like the wealth disparity which currently exists in the world. Because I'll tell you, whenever we, uh, and I'm sure Hasek and, and Andrea have come across this as well before, whenever we try and get people excited about a new uh, astronomical discovery. Uh, we get a lot of people who go, wow, that's amazing. Like that's really inspiring. You also get a bunch of people who say, why on earth are we spending money on that when we still have homeless people and you know problems feeding the, feeding the poor? You get both sides. I mean, even when the first images were publicized from JWST, uh, the, the response, I heard the response to some people saying, well, that's great, but I'm still paying six to $7 a gallon for gas. You know, that was their response. And so this is what it's enormous wealth disparity that, that exists in the world uh, that we're going to need to solve first. I don't know how you do that in the framework of capitalism. So I'm not saying that we should become socialists, but, but, um, or maybe I am. But, uh, but uh, that is going to be a hindrance to a utopian unifying response where everybody can get on board and say yes 
we should be investing in space exploration. Absolutely. Well, that, that's why I was explaining the idea of being more profitable options that would be aimed for first rather than looking towards more research endeavors as well, too. I think there's just- Yeah, so either we solve the wealth disparity or companies take the lead. And I, I agree with you that, uh, that companies taking the lead on the profit margin is, I think, looking at the world as it currently is, hopefully we can change things. But looking at the world as it currently is, that is, seems to me to be the more likely outcome. That was interesting points. And one thing that popped into my mind now while talking about the military response and trying to cloak ourselves from other possible civilizations is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where Earth is destroyed to make high way for a superhighway in space. And that's just something that popped into my mind. But yes, I think for now, you are correct, Stephen, is one way to drive space, space science, space exploration, is by private companies trying to make a profit of stuff. And I saw a white paper the other day uh, for a proposed hotel module to be added to the International Space Station. So you can actually do, you can call it venture tourism, where you can actually go to the International Space Station for a vacation. Um, I have another colleague, um, he's part of the, the idea for a African millimeter telescope. And yes, a new proposal that's actually being considered now of building a telescope on Kilimanjaro, around about at 4,700 feet above sea level. Also, not feet, meters above sea level. So one thing is, okay, cool, you can build a telescope on Kilimanjaro that will be above water vapor, and you can do some really cool science with it. But something interesting with it is you can now actually have venture tourism. So normal venture tourists wants to go to Kilimanjaro and climb Kilimanjaro. But what about the average tourist that wants to go to Kilimanjaro but is not fit enough and then want to climb the mountain? So uh, idea is you can have a cable car system that goes up to the telescope. Then visitors can visit the telescope and it's tourism for the country. So for example, for Kenya, um, and it's uh, Tanzania governments to do tourism. And if you think about it in that way, that will bring a lot more money into the country than the science itself. So now you have money from the tourists part, the tourism part, and that can be used to help fund the science part as well. So that's another way you can look to promote science as well. And for space exploration, the first private companies will do it and they will do it for a certain reason, perhaps to go mine something to prove a point. But as soon as that is common practice, um, you'll be able to do more science and more people will be interested. Think about the space race in the 60s. A lot of people were interested in it. A lot of people watched it and were interested in it. And I think that's the idea what private companies is doing is to get to that point. I don't like that because if you're talking, first of all, just take the hike, get in shape, take the hike, don't take the cable car. I don't like that. You don't get to look at, at the pretty pictures if you can't take, you know, take the hike. You know, I do three hours of cardio. If someone talks about doing a pill that can make you feel like you did three hours of cardio. No, no, no. Just do the work. Do the work. And do the effort. That's all I'm saying. Andre, I haven't heard from you for a while. Did you have any points today? 
address? Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of uh, mixing academia with um, w- with um, industry, and I'm I mean, obviously, you. we there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of uh, mixing already. Um, but you can see already, like for example, in UK, there is a big push of um, impact, creating impact of your research, which is a very hard. Uh, thing to do when you're an astronomer right you have to prove all the time that you have make an impact on society with something tangible I don't know something that <laughs> can be measured in a quantitative way uh, and of course of our a lot of our progress in astronomy is intangible but it it is major right it's, you just can't quantify it at the moment um, it may be possible in the future uh, and I think some danger is that is that the the blue sky research is is kind of receding because especially in times of crisis when obviously there's big um like we had for example covid or any 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 kind of major upheaval in the society makes you question do we actually need blue sky research do we actually need to know about the universe just for the universe sake or anything like that i think i would argue that these things are very important right and i think we have to be careful once we sell ourselves um, to the companies like 100% and we jump on their boat. Um, We have have to be careful whether we'll be able to keep the interest in science um, for science sake. Uh, That's that's my my take on it. But I'm not against progress or against, um, you know, people from different walks of life uh, enjoying space and taking something out of space, you know, not just, just um, scientific understanding, but obviously in the future, science will be open for all kinds of ventures. I'm, I, I'm fine with that. I agree with you. I, I think that's the, the, what I was saying as well, too, when it comes to industry affecting kind of research in a sense as well, too. I mean, you don't want to get all your funding from one institution because then they can, I mean, it's industry funding research as well, too. But they can just skew your bias. Um, I see plenty of that happen in academia all the time, but it becomes an issue when we're looking from an academia's or acad- academic standpoint where the only lifeboat is a billionaire. And I think it does come from we need more solid foundations when it comes to research institutions as well, too. I mean, for me, I would I would give a tax exempt status. I would give it more like the same reason you could give religious purposes to some exemptions on things as well, too. I mean, you're looking for origins that are only going to excel the knowledge of the human species. I mean, to me, that's a big event. Um, but I also think that to get the public to see that as well, too, there needs to be more interactions as well. Um, I know NASA does a lot. I, I see them do a lot, but I also think it's like conversations like these necessarily, are they going to go the way you think that they're going to go when it comes to a specific subject and they kind of cover all over, but it normalizes a lot of research and it helps people like I'm learning a lot from this. And that's just things that I mean, only get people more interested into the field and subject matter as well, too. And there's not a whole lot of that that really occurs i mean there's podcasts that are doing that some of them focus specifically on that i know uh coast to coast does more alien and jfk stuff i like to do it too um but they also have research scientists on and they have people explain you know phenomena and more they talk about some biblical stuff as well too it's just an interest of interaction i would say when it comes to the general public getting into it i mean I would like more solid foundations when it comes to research um, and academics being able to do it without a bias being implemented in because I don't see business when they say helping. I don't see it really heading in that direction. You're not going to fund a bunch of money to an institution unless you can somehow get what you want across. 
And we do see that happen a lot as well, too. And, you know, there's big discoveries out there, as far as I can tell, that there's still stuff that we are trying to understand and we're going to understand. I just want to make sure that it's headed in the right direction with it, not necessarily headed in the wrong direction. I mean, the idea of space tourism is cool. I'm not a huge fan of that. I mean, I would like people to go visit another planet, sure, but I see all the boats to get there are going to be in the pockets of people that are companies that are owned by billionaires that are just there to make a profit, not necessarily caring that you want to go see space. You know what I mean? Like that's not wrong in me saying that. I don't think, I just think that's it's with every business. McDonald's didn't start being an evil corporation. It just, people hate them. I don't know, but they love double cheeseburgers. I'm just saying it, you don't start the it, it with bad intentions. It just ends up leading there. And I think we can pull out a lot of examples. I think Elon does some good things, but I also see he does toss a lot of space junk up there as well, too. That does affect researchers. I mean, it's an unintended issue, but it's also an issue. And I think we have to look at all these things when we start talking about ideas of space exploration, because we want to make sure it's headed in the correct direction as well. So, um, I, I just wanted to agree with something uh, Andrea said, which is about there's a lot of bad things that have happened in the last couple of years. Uh, and I've noticed many of my colleagues are starting to question the value of their research in the face of that. You know, with so many people suffering with, with COVID and many other things that have, that have happened. And I, uh, and I agree with you, it's, it, it is still very important. It does have a big impact on society. And, and one of my colleagues, um, uh, she said something which I thought was really, really great. The way which she worded it is, it's important to show that in a broken world that we can still do amazing and inspiring things. And so um, it's, uh, I, I think it adds a really positive aspect uh, to the world, especially when, when things are going wrong, <laughs> for, for, for lack, lack of a better word. But, but to, the, to the space tourism uh, thing, I worry about that as well. Well, uh, like the the whole concept of having a, a hotel on the International Space Station, things like that. The reason, I mean, I don't fundamentally ha have a problem with that kind of a concept, but what's going on at the moment is that that would inevitably be seen as something as tourism for rich people only. It's kind of, uh, if you've ever seen that Matt Damon uh, movie, Elysium, I think it's called, where you essentially have the rich people who are living in orbit and all the poor people who live on the earth. It's uh, putting palm also... trees in your backyard if you live in Alaska. You don't get to do that. You just don't. I don't care how much money you have. It's just, it's. I don't think that's smart. Yeah, yeah. And, and so this is why there was such a divided response uh, when people like Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk were, were having these uh, highly publicized excursions in, into space. The, the, re, the reaction from some people was, yeah, that, that, that's really exciting. The reaction from many people that I saw was, oh my God, why aren't we taxing these people more? Uh, <laughs> with, with this idea that they're doing that at the expense of, of, of paying taxes. <laughs> um, and, and, that that, and that once again ties into we're spending money on that when that money could have fed goodness knows how many homeless people. You know, you know, that, that, you, you, know you know what I want to capture is that moment he brought William Shatner. I guess up both. I guess they barely left the atmosphere or something like that. I think you just saw like where the blue line and then it becomes dark. Is that's the point that he got to? But when he came down and then William Shatner was messed up for like weeks after that, just crying and saying how beautiful it was. I want that in every single person when we see an image from whatever comes out of space. 
Like, I just want people to have an interaction with it where there's a profound understanding and astonishment of that there's something bigger than us out there. And I understand there's important issues on earth that you need to fix, but I also think that we're losing a big aspect when we just shut down the conversation. For instance, when you mentioned, you know, speaking to someone about space or did you know we just did this? Oh, that's cool. But what about the, you know, inequalities here? I think that's an issue that needs to be addressed, but it shouldn't deflate the thing that we are doing. Um, in a massive scale way when it comes to space exploration. And I think that's kind of yeah, like- Yeah, no, I agree, because yeah. you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately, uh, to get to the utopian scenario, it, it should be anybody should be able to go up and stay in a space hotel or, some, or something like that, not just a, a, a direct reflection of the wealth disparity. Well, my first interest even into space was freaking Buzz Aldrin in his interviews saying that there's water on the moon and there's an obelisk on Mars. I'm like, hang on a second. I don't know what's true, but I'm just saying like, I mean, that's it. it the, the UFO topic, as much as I can say that it, it can help get people interested in it, it does supply a little bit of hurt too, because if what we've seen in the past couple of months when it comes to funding or when it comes into research has been always that question, what'd you see up there? Did you see any extraterrestrial life? It's like, it's... um. I get that's an interest for a lot of people. It's an interest to me too, but I think we're basing it off of, did you see a UFO? Did you see any aliens in a saucer rather than did you see, you know, microbic life on another planet or something like that? So one thing I can quickly mention, I just quickly brought it up here. One thing that's a positive note about private companies being involved in space exploration is the cost of getting into space is coming down exponentially. So yeah, quickly I opened up an article. So Space Shuttle in 1981, to put one kilogram into orbit, costs $85,216 per kilogram. If you go to Space Shuttle in 1995, the cost came down to $26,000. Are you sharing screen? <laughs> I know. I can share a screen if you want yeah, to. I want to see what you're seeing, man. I want to see that giant Bill Gates logo on the side of the thing. Just so okay. Let me share the screen. <laughs> Let me quickly share my screen. Just opening it up. Uh, hopefully, this image is a not a bad quality. Uh, where is that now? I gotta talk to William Shatner on here. You should be able to see my screen now. Oh, I thought you were about to say I should be able to talk to William Shatner. I'm like, is he accepting? <laughs> so, yeah, we can see space shells. You can see in 2006, a Falcon 1 is roughly $10,000 per kilogram. The Falcon Avian in 2020 is 951 kilograms per $591 per kilogram. So, the cost is actually coming down. And that is one positive thing about privatization and industry in space. So you can get the cost down putting uh, a kilogram in space. So that means for space tourism, yes, at the beginning, only the wealthy will be able to afford to take holiday into space. But while technology is being furthered and improved, the cost for the average Joe to get into space will also become more affordable with time. Does that specifically come from billionaires being more invested into it? Or is that just like, is this on a, is this a time thing as well too? I mean, if you have one successful- That's time. Attempt, you don't just and stop at one. Yes. 
So that is from government and private industry and how technology advances. So one thing that we can think about why this becomes cheaper is because of reusable systems. So you think about SpaceX with them landing their rocket boosters and they're having reusable parts. So that means you don't just fire a rocket once and boom, it's over with. You actually recover the rocket and you reuse it, meaning you are saving a lot of money by reusing different parts and components. And that is what is bringing this cost down of getting stuff into space. I like this idea that in about 40 years, you could buy a can of soda and the same for the same cost, send it into space. Yes. <laughs> so that is how... Um, one thing our technology is progressing, and that's one thing the general public don't also sometimes think about, is through space exploration, through space science, through astronomy, new and great technology is being developed and ends up in our palm, literally in the palms of our hands. So it won't fall the space race, if you think about it. Uh, what would us what would, one of the byproducts of the space race is your mobile device, your cell phone and to use it. One of the other byproducts of the space race is our GPS systems and GPS networks that we can use every day. And that is something that people don't really think about and realize. When I spoke with um, Avi Loeb on here, he talked about sending digital children into outer space um, would be the next kind of wave of where this would go. Um, when we talk about the idea of, do you think space, it's gonna be more of people going into space um, is going to be cheaper or would it be better just for research purposes to have more types of technology that can be able to separate and gather more information about our universe? I mean, I would like to see it go that way before we send a bunch of people up there first. Um, but also you look at an aspect of like, it's going to be a really dumb example, but like jet ski rentals. Um, when I was a jet ski guide for a little while, we had to monitor rentals, uh, people that would rent our jet skis and ride around in a certain area. You're telling me you can't have a drone with separate cameras that can all be modulated off of a person's phone. Um, someone can control their own camera, be able to look around space a little bit in the area that they want to go look around rather than just watching a video of someone doing it for them. I mean, I think that's a good way to get money as well, too. I mean, obviously, it would cost a little bit. But I mean, if you're paying by the minute, you know, you're gonna have people that are just gonna be interested in a couple minutes in space. But one thing you can think about is sending out probes. A good example is Star Wars with the Galactic Empire. They sent out probes across the galaxy to look for the Rebel Alliance and the Rebel base. And if the probe finds something, then they will actually send the stormtroopers and Darth Vader to go investigate. And I see the same thing happening. So I like technology. I like to see technology uh, going forward and being enhanced and we developing better ways. So the cost of private industry bringing uh, the viability to travel into space lowers so the average Joe can get into space. That is very cool. But with that as well, if we send out probes, for example, to the outer reaches of our solar system and even into deep space, that will help us determine where certain things are that we like to visit or investigate. But in the same time, that will bring the cost down for better drones here on Earth. For example, um, Amazon's drone delivery system that they are testing and playing around with, that is due to first the military being involved in creating drones. But now 
you can buy a drone and play with it in your backyard. And the same thing would happen through space exploration as well. The wealthy will be only ones to be playing around with it and tested at first, but eventually the average show will also be able to do it as cost goes down. You're telling me in the society we live in today, we can invent North Face jackets and Captain Crunch, but we can't attach a couple of GoPros to some things and just have the uh, convention where people can control their own little GoPro and, you know, look around. I mean, I get like the 3D model thing is cool. You could do like a, see a picture and you can rotate it and see like a 3D, you know, view um, of it. But at the same time, I mean, just to get the number of flat earth people down a little bit, Jesus Christ, like just take a little you know gopro up up there to show them hey look you can control it we're not showing or hiding anything look and then they can look for themselves no i agree so that is one way you can do it and as soon as for example you have more drones on a take mars for example i'm also a big fan of mars and usually when i think about mars the expanse usually comes to mind. But say, for example, you have a lot of drones on Mars and rovers, and you have photographed Mars, then what is stopping us from doing something like Google Street View? If you can use your computer or a VR headset and you go into street view of a certain section of Mars. Would they have location marks like? that were like milestones or like you go on Google map, you can like click and zoom and like, Hey, there's a five-star restaurant on Mars. That'd be cool. So I imagine that if, for example, where the first rover touched down, that would be a marker where the current rovers currently are. And what is the story points where we have touched down certain rovers on Mars? I like that idea. Actually, that's that's actually a really that's a really good plot to a movie or a company if anybody wants to think about like can you imagine Travelocity in space. Going a little bit off topic, sorry, bad joke. But I mean, just <laughs> look at an aspect. I mean, when we talk about the ideas of where we're going to go, I mean, would what what would be the best method if we talked about more human exploration when it comes to the average public being introduced into space? Do you think that's, that's, that's something that could be, I guess, doable in a sense where it's not seen as like a billionaire industry? Like, could it be something where you could win a competition? I mean, we know people that win Nobel prizes who aren't billionaires, um, peace prizes, for instance, um, people that just do a significant event. I'm not saying you have to do a historical thing in your life that has changed society like Gandhi or anything, but maybe on the sense of just people that have made an achievement, maybe making it more acceptable when it's safer to be able to just show citizens or show people um, that they too can also venture into space. I don't, I've talked to a couple of people who um, went through the astronaut training program and like, I haven't, I mean, this is a while ago, probably two years ago, um, just, but their interest and love for it was because they got, they went to the space museum and they got to explore and then get very in interested into it. And I knew one person that actually went to one of those camps that they station out, like, I think it's like Hawaii or something. And they get to sit in like this little thing and do one of those studies for like a month or so, you know, see, you live with a couple other people. I think Space Force did like a, a version of that as well, too. Um, the, the show with Steve Carell, I'm not talking about the real Space Force. But I, I, I mean, that sparked uh, hearing them talk about their experience there really sparked up interest them into wanting to pursue going into space and being an astronaut. I'm not saying you're going to get every single person to be an astronaut, but you're going to get a hell of a lot more people to understand and feel like they can be they don't have to be of a certain wealth class to get involved into space travel. Yeah, I think um, when those uh, launches were happening from Branson and Bezos, uh, I, I think it was Branson who suggested some kind of a 
a lottery program where he might uh, get people who wouldn't normally be able to afford it into space. But um, I, I, I really appreciated uh, your point, Hisek, about the lowering cost of space travel. And when, we're, you know, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about, say, for example, like things that we now take for granted, like uh, uh, m most people have a car, but there was a point in human history where owning you know, one of these horseless carriages was an extreme luxury. And so uh, you really need to think about these things in terms of an investment in our future. And I think this is part of the issue with all these kinds of technologies. Um, and so for space travel is people thinking uh, about things that they won't necessarily benefit from in the near future and perhaps not even in their lifetime, but future generations will benefit from enormously. Um, and this is, this, this is a general problem with, uh, with space travel. Well, it has been historically because it's mostly been funded by governments. And when it comes to governments investing in space travel, there's a political aspect to, to that because, uh, because uh, uh, for example, a particular president or Congress might be investing in something that a future president will essentially take the credit for. So for example, all of the initial work from JFK um, and, and, and that came to fruition mostly during the era of Richard Nixon. And so, uh, and so there's a discouragement there from, from political perspective about the long, investing long-term projects, meaning decades-long projects as opposed to short-term gains. But, um, but industry and companies, uh, they, they do think long-term. Uh, and so they're more likely to, to go down that, that particular pathway. So anyway, yeah, there's this time scale thing that people need to, to wrap their heads around about, uh, about what the long-term benefits will be. It's, it's, it's a difficult problem. They can't be hypocritical about the timescale thing. See, people will that will fight the fight of climate change. The, the, the deal with climate change is that it's not you're sacrificing to make your life harder, your kids life harder for a better future for your grandkids. Um, that's a lot of what people can consider issues with climate change. I don't want to have to pay more. It's like, well, you're going to do better for your grandkids. Well, if you can take the same people that fight the fight of climate change, look at the examination of you're probably not going to enjoy space luxuries or your kids aren't going to enjoy space luxuries, but then your grandkids are really going to have an amazing time to be able to explore space and how far it really goes. I mean, it's the same thing. You can't be hypocritical and just want one, not over the other. I mean, I think we're pretty easy on that time thing. I get with the business and that's an interesting thought. Um, or perspective that I, I really haven't heard of or even looked in before, which is the aspect of these industries that do stuff over a long time period change is because mostly the times that their wealth or their, their business isn't going to be marginally impacted to a point, but it's going to get a giant payload down the road. It's kind of like burying a time capsule. I mean, you're not going to dig it up, but your kid's going to end up inheriting the business and he'll dig it up. So it's like that type of, I guess, mentality or talk, but I think it's easier to get probably the general public and board, um, which is looking at a better future for future generations. There's a large impact with my age group um, that has this mentality of worrying about just our kids and our grandkids. Um, I don't know why, because I hear a lot about phthalates and plastics and apparently our fertility counts going down. So I'm just like, what grandkids? I don't know yet. It's hypothetical, imaginary. But I think it's important. I think you have a lot of kids like why they worry about inequality issues as well, too. I mean, they're just 
they're getting hopped into a lot of information that is now being given to them from cell phones and interactions. And most of these interactions happen to be through political discourse or um, things that are publicized on like television networks and stuff, which I just go, I mean, I would like to skew some of those days where they just do political discourses on television and skew it to more a research based. I mean, you can't just have it restricted to one channel like the Smithsonian. I don't I don't even think I get that channel anymore. I'm pretty sure I just do Netflix and stuff, but Stranger Things is good at times. Um, it got gets you interested in space. You know, it's the sci-fi inf influencing society again. Well, I, I'm not so concerned about the general public. I think general, from what I, my directions with the public, uh, there's a lot of interest in astronomy um, and it's always been. Um, and you were asking about what are the ways of getting more people on board. I think we, we could keep all options uh, open, right? I mean, I think it will always be this desire to send people into space just because, just to show that we can, right? Uh, I think we'll be, we'll suffer of a complex of inferiority if we always send pros, but we never go out so, uh, ourselves out there. Uh, but um, yeah, you're mentioning drones. Um, I mean, what is the difference between a drone and a digital twin? There are extensions, there are technical devices we send to, to probe the universe and solar system and so on. Um, I think that would be entirely feasible. I think that there's more questionable when this digital twins uh, turn to AI, they, um, they, they have artificial intelligence and then, then we'll, we'll have all sorts of problems of like, uh, what sorts of technology are we sending into space and do we enter into some competition with them and so on. But I think you were, just to go back to one of the earlier topics of discussion, what will take the humanity kind of unite? I think we, we had brief uh, episodes of uniting, uh, for example, when people set foot on the moon, right? It's not just the Americans that celebrated, but people all over the world, right? There was, um, uh, and it wasn't, uh, planned. It, it just was spontaneous uh, uh, feeling of um, communion, if you like, with all, all the people on Earth. Everyone was watching, was stuck to the TVs and watching this. And another um, episode like that was when the, uh, they, they turned the camera back on Earth, right? And they we had the first image of the Earth from, from around the moon. And also that um, image of the Earth as a blue dot the overview effect, right? That you mentioned that uh, William Schaldner was uh, was quite um, emotional after he came back. Um, I, I think that that is a genuine feeling, and uh, people will experience that. Um, so I think that the question is how you sustain this feeling of uh, unity and bring everyone on board. I think that's probably harder to achieve, but. We, we had experienced uh, episodes where the whole world came together um, for a brief moment of time. And I'm sure that we will experience the same, for example, when we, um, we may detect some form of life or whatever uh, on other planets, or even if we, if we see these beautiful images from JWST, I think it's, it's, it's inspiring. It's not just inspiring for astronomers, but for every, anyone who watches this and understands what we're looking at. 
So um, I'm hoping it's received and understood in that way. It's my whole point. I don't know how I, I feel like with especially a lot of memory coming from my generation and then, you know, one before me, even um, the one thing that I've always seen when people talk about a scenario where they got glued to their TV was like a 9-11 incident where everyone remembers exactly where they were, exactly what happened and was never taking their eyes off the TV as it was happening. I don't want it to just be a bad scenario that we feel like we need to have a historical event where we remember exactly where we were, exactly when. Um, I think we should have got that same impact from Mars. It might have been a little bit differently because it wasn't a person landing there. But I just don't like I, I'm just hoping that that's not been cut off completely when it comes to an aspect. It seems like obviously, you know, tragedy sells. You know, we've noticed that a lot as well, too. But I want to make sure that we can get the same reaction when we do something great or we at least pull that same reaction out of even what we would consider a small but some a, a, in a huge scale, if you know what exactly you're looking at, um, we can still pull that same impact because having a bunch of memories or people that bring up an example of where they were, when they were, and someone says a tragic incident like 9-11, that shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't just be receiving that off of bad things. We should be receiving that off of good things. So that's why I, I think my overall message in this whole chat has been like about the messaging, um, the connectivity with these aspects of things as well, too, because there's a lot of great things happening. And I know we can talk about inequalities. Sure. I'm not saying those don't exist but man with all the bad you get relayed you gotta look at the good as well too but your wins should be celebrated the same aspect as much as you cry at the sorrows that go on and i i think you gotta look at that too that's why i get interested in all these space conversations yeah i like to entertain it and probably pull you guys out of your comfort zones when we talk about a lot of space stuff but that's the fun part in it it's like you're in i'm curious as hell i got a lot of questions and a lot of them look like they're on crack cocaine but they're fun questions they're really interesting stuff and the public likes to hear that type of stuff where i'm just hoping to spark interest as much as i've been getting fascinated in it as well too well, so Robbie, that's an interesting point about that, you know, that those moments, knowing where you were when that event happened and the one that the, the positive one that people often think about in terms of a, uh, a whole world response to it is, of course, the moon landing. And there's that famous uh, broadcaster line from that about for that brief moment in time, all of humanity was one. Um, and something I'm really curious about is uh, if, if and when, and I'm sure it's a question of when, uh, we do send a person to Mars and that, and that person first steps, leaves a footprint on the red planet, um, if that will be a similar response and how that will depend on if that is a company doing that. Like, let, let's just say that the first footprint of Mars is from none other than Elon Musk, right? He has built up SpaceX, this enormous company, and he's steps foot on Mars, as opposed to it being a government or maybe even an international effort that makes that happen. What would be the difference uh, in the cultural re re response? And, and, I, and I suspect, um, I'd love to hear the opinions of you guys on this, that it would be significantly more negative than the 1969 moon landing uh, event if it was just somebody who spent billions of dollars getting there as opposed to some something that really is seen as an international uh, effort. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But because it would be a shame, I think it would be a tragedy if the moment of that first footprint on Mars is not seen as a triumph for humanity. And uh, my concern is that it, it won't be seen as a triumphant humanity. You'll just be seen as, oh, here we go again. The rich get richer. 
and we're still stuck here, you know, with our problems on it. If Elon lands on the moon first, the prophecy is completed and we all need to stock up on beef jerky because the world's going to end. That was just a joke. Uh, Haystick, Andrea, you guys can answer that. Um, and then I'll, I'll answer. So I don't think it will be probably negative. So I like to see it. So for me, if I will, the example, Elon Musk put his first footprint on Mars. For me, I will see it as an accomplishment for humankind. It's a new step in a different direction. I would say that it's a new step for humankind to put a first person on Mars. And that will be a step for the first colony, for example, on Mars. So from my point of view is I don't see it as an industry or government. I would just like to see the first person on Mars. It doesn't matter who that person is affiliated to or even if it is a global effort. It would be nice if it's a global effort, something to unite everyone on Earth more. But I think for something like that is it will be a huge milestone for humankind. And I know, for example, the 1969 moon landing, it doesn't matter from which country you are from, that was a major achievement for humankind. And that was done by the US government. So but it doesn't matter which country you are, everybody was excited. It's the first person on the moon. And I think it would be the same effect as the first person on Mars. And even if we go back to the moon and have a new set of astronauts boots on the moon, that will be great. There'll be a new generation getting interested in, in space exploration and science and engineering. But it will be something to, for people to get excited about. And like you said, Robbie, for a positive event, a lot of people will remember that day, where they were, what they were doing, where they watched it from to, um, happening. For uh, boots back on the moon, another person back on the moon, the first person on Mars, people will remember that as a big historic event. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <I'm just> saying. <laughs> Well, I, I think probably, well, it's hard to anticipate what would happen, um, uh, how the world will react, but it presumably will be like this panel, a bit of mixed uh, reaction. Some would uh, <laughs> uh, be uh, seeing it as an event for humanity, other people will be a bit more reserved. And But I think this this sending of civilians in space it was a good training and see how the world will react. And uh, all in all, the the world didn't react as positively as you was expecting, even by the billionaires. Um, sure, we sent some uh, famous people out there, but we sent a lot of rich people and a lot of people who bought their tickets or they knew the <laughs> the right person. So I think there was a missed opportunity in terms of I think for humanity, I think it would have been better if uh, the first event where we sent civilians in space would be you know. Um, the first time we send civilians or uh, in space would be a time where you send like regular people or people who, I don't know, I, I can't suggest any any better way of doing it, but it's to me, it seemed like a, a, a missed opportunity. This certainly is not the excitement um, um, of us going into space as it was predicted to be even by people who were planning this for many years. Obviously, I raise one last question, and I also raise a Robbie scenario to end it on this. Um, it's to all three of you. Uh, do you think that the, the the I guess the progression or the I guess the direction of what we would call success, in a sense, do you think it would be better, more calculated and precise, or do you think it would be like this scenario, like when I was a kid and there was like ten notches on my lawnmower, and my dad's like, "Don't raise it above the second turtle notch." Um, 
or the lawn's going to look awful. And I ended up ramping it up to 10 and the lawn did, I mean, look good in my opinion, if you look at it from the side. Um, but it didn't, it, it was all over the place because I did it way too fast. You think that it would, should be like that. Do you think that the, the progression and um, direction we had space exploration or any aspect of space, do you think it should be more calculated and precise measures, um, carefully thought through, or do you think some of the best innovations in society kind of have been not, I wouldn't say accidental, but necessarily not worried about precautions as much. And I think that lands into the area where we do talk about who directs the funding for space. Would you care for government or would you care for business to do that? And I found myself parted. I like the more precise measures, but I understand I've had over a thousand something conversations with people from all over, and it's difficult to understand every single perspective. And I would think if you ask me that question of understanding people's perspectives, I couldn't tell you I was I would be comfortable enough to give you that answer because I just don't. There's just things I can't think of. There's perspectives I haven't seen. So, I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? You think more calculated or wild and out of control like I did my lawn when I was like 15 years old? <laughs> so, that's all. I, I love the analogy to, uh, to lawn mowing. I spent a substantial amount of my youth cutting lawns and playing around with that um, the, the, the height and making it look, uh, as you say, I thought it looked good, but anyway. Um, so, uh, but I, I think it's kind of the truth is going to be somewhere in between the, the two scenarios that you're talking about. I mean, it is uh, literally unexplored space. Uh, it, it is that front, frontier. We oftentimes we won't know the problems that we're going to encounter. For example, I think one of the things that was still struggling to uh, understand is the effect on human biology of, of spending extended periods of time in, in low gravity. Uh, I, I think this is going to be uh, something that may present a challenge for example, long-term human habitation on Mars because that has 38% Earth's gravity. Uh, what is the long-term effects of that on, on human circulation uh, 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 of the blood flow throughout the body and, and, and other? Uh, uh, effects because we have evolved, you know, <laughs> over, over many millions of years to uh, to operate efficiently in in one um, uh, one Earth gravity. So uh, so there's going to be a lot of challenges like that that we'll face that we won't. It'll be very difficult to see them coming. And so as much as we want to do it from calculated perspective as much as we can, I think there's going to be a very stochastic, meaning random nature to, to this where we're going to in, in inevitably encounter problems. Um, but uh, part of the driver, as we've been discussing uh, over this podcast, uh, the societal motivations, both from a government, broader society, and from a business perspective, those are going to ebb and flow through time. And I think that's going to create a certain amount of uh, randomness to that to our approach to this to this problem as, as well so like i said it's, it's going to be inevitably some somewhere in between if i might just add i think uh, the progress of technology is inevitable and that will probably go at full speed no matter what but i think i would like to see uh, the discussion about space open up to the public. We, we mentioned the government and the companies, uh, but the public is always the, 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 the third actor, which is never into the conversation, is always talked to or talked at, but never involved in the conversation. And I was mentioning all these stories about the Milky Way, right? I mean, 
people always had the connection with the sky and it's hard to um to reckon it today because we see it from such a science and technology point of view but science has always been incorporated in culture and we kind of lost that and i think people need to feel a connection with the sky uh and i, I would like to see that you know the general public and for us astronomers general uh, the the public is we are funded by uh, by taxes and by the public so we do have a, a duty to kind of uh, get in conversation with the general public. Uh, I don't know whether we're doing it very well, but I think um, it, I would like to see the same discussion with with the other actors involved in space. And it's not just from academia, but for everyone who is partaking to space, they should they should open up to a bigger conversation. It might be a very uh, idealistic point of view, but I, I think that's probably the one of the ways we could move forward. You got yourself muted there, buddy. It happens to me sometimes uh, sorry, too. I, I, hit, I hit my yeah. vape sometimes and I have myself muted and I forget. <laughs> I started, so I see it the same as Andrea and Steven. So the one thing is, I think we can, space exploration and directions going is going to be, they're going to try and keep it precise and calculated because you don't want to have mistakes happening. Uh, you're still working with, for example, people's lives, and it still costs a lot of money to do this research. But you're going to encounter some situations where it's going to be a total unknown, and then you cannot plan for it, and you just have to see what happens. And to end off this question, I have a quote and a joke. So the quote is of Brian Greene. So when kids look up to great scientists the way they do to great musicians and actors, civilization will jump to the next level. And I think that is something to think about. And the other thing is uh, quite a joke. Uh, science can tell you how to clone a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but humanities can tell you why that might be a bad idea. Um. I appreciate the conversations from the bottom of my heart. Uh, you guys joining me and entertaining me um, in the episodes of my show that you guys have been involved in. Um, I generally respect your guys' opinions and knowledge, obviously, is way past mine in this field and probably other fields as well, too. Um, but it does mean a lot uh, just being from the general public. I thank you. Um, Steven, if you want to say your links, Andrea, you can say your links. And hey, Stick, we'll end with you, man. So you can. Oh, Stephen goes oh. first. Hey, stick, you'll be. Uh, okay, sure. okay. Okay. Oh uh, well, um, uh, I was just going to say that people can uh, easily uh, find me by by googling uh, googling my name, Stephen Kane, uh, and I have I have a website where people are, are welcome to contact me. I'm also on Twitter, Exocytherian, uh, if uh, people wanted to follow me there. Uh oh, sorry. Hey, stick, right? No, it's Andrea. Uh, me okay uh so um i do have a website uh, and um again people could just uh, google me andrea font uh twitter handles uh, again andrea font um i don't usually keep up all my websites up to date so this two i think will be uh enough <laughs> hey stick yeah, people can find me on twitter instagram and facebook by just typing in my name and surname as one word so at hasty Krobler. the way i'm doing this is how my boxes are set up it's going clockwise so you'll see it when the video goes out and everything but if you are looking for me you can find me where you just found me so um 
appreciate the time that you guys have given me. And thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. And stay tuned for our next episode.